This is Austin Real Estate Investing. Austin Real Estate Investing. We'll be discussing real estate investing in Austin, Texas, and bringing you experts from all different sectors of the real estate game. Your host, Jordan Moorhead, is a real estate agent and investor in Austin and is here to help you get started or to build your portfolio and explore new strategies. Hi, this is Jordan Moorhead with the Austin Real Estate Investing Podcast. And today we have Amy Ridgery here, and she's going to tell us all about how she's involved in real estate investing, raising private capital, and how she can help you learn to scale and grow your business through raising private capital. Hey, Amy, how are you? Great, Jordan. Great to be here with you. Awesome. So thank you so much for coming on. Really enjoyed some of the other podcasts you've been on. I know you've been a recent guest on Bigger Pockets with an awesome series that you're doing on raising private money. And I wanted to try to get you on here so our listeners could learn how they can scale and grow their business. Perfect. I will do what I can to support you guys. And I will share as many strategies as possible as time permits. Awesome. Thank you so much. So really quickly for our listeners, could you tell everybody who you are and how you're involved with real estate investing at this time? Sure. Yeah. So my name is Amy Majori. I've been investing in real estate over the last 10 years. And, um, you know, my background is pretty traditional. I didn't know what I was doing when I got started 10 years ago. I invested heavily into a coaching program. Um, I wanted the fast track. I didn't want to read a bunch of books and listen to a bunch of podcasts. Um, and I wanted to really use real estate as my vehicle, really, to financial freedom. I never really thought about leaving my corporate job, which was right here in Austin, Texas at Dell Computers. And um, it's funny because I have to joke about how when I got into real estate, my goal was just to flip a couple of homes on the side while I pursued what I thought was my dream job, you know, at Nike. But um, on accident, in my very first year, knowing nothing about real estate because of my ability to raise capital, I was able to buy, renovate, and sell 10 properties in that very first year while still working my, you know, full-time corporate job. And after that happened, not only did, sure, I saw the earning potential and I was making, making one and a half times more you know, than my salary with an MBA, but I also really fell in love with the transformation process. And so I started my investing business in downtown Chicago, um, quickly shifting from middle income condos to high end luxury homes in the city. Awesome. So you were here in Austin and you were flipping in Chicago. I was here in Austin, but then I moved to Chicago. I was working okay. remotely for Dell and then I built my business in my own backyard in Chicago. Awesome. So you're, you're from Chicago originally? I'm actually from Michigan. Okay. Okay. Cool. How did you end up on Chicago? I have a giant, crazy family. We're all from Michigan. Um, after I moved to Austin, uh, after undergrad, some of my family moved to Chicago. So um, when I was at Dell about 10 years in, I still can't believe I was there for 14 years. I started managing our uh, European relationship, so I never really had to be in the office. Mm -hmm. So I moved to Chicago just to be closer to my sisters. And um, from there, I went to San Diego, back to Chicago, back to Austin. So it's good to be back. That's awesome. Yeah. It, yeah, it's just, it's funny to hear how people pick the markets they invest in. But Really, I think knowing something about them or having people there really helps a lot of times too. I know a lot of people say, hey, I want to invest somewhere else in Austin. Where should it be? And I say, well, what do you know? You know not sure. so much where it's going to work best. Chicago, I don't know, it would be highest on everybody's list, but it, clearly it works really well for you. 
Yeah, you know, it's funny. That question just came up on a coaching call I had the other day. And there was um, this young gentleman who had never invested in real estate and he wanted to start flipping houses. He lived in Minneapolis and wanted to start flipping homes in Tampa. And I was like, why? I'm not opposed to that. I just want to understand your thought process. And he was like, I'm scared. I've never done it before. I know a guy in Tampa. And I said, but do you really know this guy? They had just been at the gym. And I said, look, I'm all about remote rehabbing. But first, figure out what you're doing in your own backyard, because you can live in the armpit of America and still successfully build a real estate business as long as you have a strict buying criteria and you know what to look for. Um, so I'm a firm believer in building your power team in your own backyard first, and then sure, get crazy and start investing out of state. Yeah, love that. Um, cool. So your first real estate investment, those were flips in Chicago. You said, you know, middle market condos, stuff like that. Yeah, you know, I I focused primarily on one bed, one bath condos because in my mind back then I was like, you know, I'm still figuring out the business. I'm still building my power. You know, I'm still ramping up, you know, marketing for deals. And I had not prioritized building capital at the time. So I was like, okay, at that time I could be all in, you know, for under two hundred thousand. So it's a lower capital raise. It's it's an easy renovation template it's kitchen bathroom flooring paint kitchen bathroom flooring paint so to anyone listening if you're just getting started or even if you're an expert investor if you can you know target the condo play it's a great strategy because you could literally be putting an offer site unseen mm -hmm. and have a pretty good estimate of what that renovation is going to cost you because there's no exterior work yeah yeah it can only go so bad if it's a condo right of that so how has your business evolved from you started with one bath, one, one bed, one bath condos, Chicago? What does your business look like here today? So today's very different. Um, here in Austin, I do have a team and I am um, renovating slash building new, you know, south side, east side, and but on a much smaller scale. I don't need to flip houses anymore. I do it because I really love it. Um, I, I do that because my husband and I have a three-year-old daughter. We want to raise her in, in an environment of real estate and entrepreneurship. So we like taking her to the properties and showing her what that looks like. Like, what do mom and dad do? Um, so I've got three flips going on or new builds going on right now. And, um, you know, my husband and I, we invest a lot passively. We started out like a lot of newer real estate investors buying, you know, the middle income single family homes. Mm -hmm. We are a firm believer though in, it, it truly is passive income. So anytime we buy a passive income property, we would have a property management company manage it, even in our own backyard. You know, we always say, if you're putting in more than four hours a year into your passive income property, it's not passive income. Yeah. So, but now, you know, and, and as you start to gain more experience, you know, my experience has been, you don't need the single family homes. We don't need the mobile homes. So now in order to diversify our passive income, we will invest heavily into commercial syndications who, you know, with investors out there who have a proven track record. So it's just easier and less stress mentally. Oh yeah, that's true. That that's the only truly passive income, obviously private lending. And I'm sure we'll talk about that too, but you know, investing in syndications and private lending, you actually just get a check every month or every yeah. quarter and you don't have to It's do amazing. Anything. It right, is. the tax benefits and, yeah. you know, so there's so much you can do and, but that's something, you know, we worked our, our way up into, into that, being able to do that, being comfortable and analyzing those types of properties. Um, I recently decided to start syndicating properties myself. Um, 
you know, so I'll start with multifamily properties. And um, I, you know, I've had the privilege of doing a lot of cool things. Um, I did a four part series with HGTV. I started, you know, coaching other investors on how to raise capital. Nothing that I ever thought I'd be doing because I was super shy growing up. So it's funny to look back now at some of these things, you know, that I've done. Um, but it's cool, you know, because I believe that everyone will agree the two most challenging things that we are tasked with as real estate investors is number one, finding the deal and number two, raising the capital. And so it's nice to be able to contribute, you know, with the latter of the two and positively impact investors all over the country by sharing some of those strategies with them. Awesome. I love that. So, you know, a lot of our listeners have maybe they're looking to buy their first property or they bought their first couple properties. At what point do you recommend that people start raising private capital? Because I know this is a conversation I have all the time. People say, Hey, I don't have enough money to buy the next one. What do I do? So private, private capital is good for that. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter if you're new or experienced. It doesn't matter if you're part-time or full-time. The time to start raising capital is now. And no, I'm not just saying that. The power of private money will literally allow you to do whatever you want as long as you know how to analyze deals. Mm -hmm. And so what we don't want to do is wait until we have a deal to start raising capital. Because mm -hmm. raising capital, it's it's rapport-based lending, right? You're not going to talk to someone on the first phone call and be like, give me 100000 So the example, Jordan, you shared of, People having that fear, fear is the number one showstopper. They don't have experience. They've never done it before. They feel bad asking their friends and family members for money. And I think one of the reasons why I started helping other investors was I came from a family that didn't support what I was doing. My friends thought I was crazy. Still till this day, 10 years later, they're like, does that really work? So I was like, you know what? I'm going to be the first person to tell you you can raise capital without depending on your friends and family members. And so I've tested and measured, you know, again, we all have strengths and weaknesses, right? I've made a bunch of money. I've lost a bunch of money. I've just always been very good at building rapport and trust and raising capital with people. Um, I'm terrible at marketing, for example, right? So it was only because for eight years consistently, investors kept saying, can you help me? Can you help me? That at the height of COVID, I was like, yeah, I'm sitting here. Why not come up with a curriculum and start coaching guys remotely? Plus, it still keeps me connected with investors all over the country, which is cool because as an educator, now I'm learning, right? I'm still a student. My students are influencing me. We're partnering on deals together. I'm, you know, right now, one of my students just taught me one of his strategies on short-term rentals. It's a strategy specifically with what he's doing that I've never considered. So it's cool. There's a lot you can do in different types of relationships you can build. Um, but I still feel like to tie it back to your original question, you know, it's, you want to start raising capital yesterday because that's the only way you're going to grow and scale. If you don't want to grow and scale, then don't do it. Awesome. And, you know, I want to dive a little bit more into raising capital. I fell into it. So we borrowed a lot of private money. Uh, somebody actually just offered and said, hey, do you, do you want to borrow the money to buy this property? Somebody we were working with to help find the property. He said, yeah, sure. That sounds great. And then we've gotten the confidence to go out and ask other people. And really, I... In my situation, a lot of the times people have just seen what I'm doing and said, hey, if you ever need to borrow some money to do this, you know, give me a call. But for somebody that's saying, hey, I don't know what to do or what to say to raise private capital or even to start the conversation, do you have any recommendations there? Obviously, listen to your Bigger Pocket series, get a part of your coaching program, read some of your, your topics you've got on this stuff. But what, what does somebody say to start that conversation? Hey, guys, this is Jordan Moorhead here. 
and I wanted to ask if you could do a huge favor for me. If you could go leave a review for this podcast wherever you're listening to it, that would really help me get this into the hands of other people that are interested in information about Austin real estate investing, and I'd be able to help more people. Thanks, guys. Yeah, I'll even give you a few scripts if you want. You can share them with your audience. But really, the number one thing before you get out there and start saying anything is you got to understand what you're doing and why you're doing it. So it starts with your mindset. Instead of thinking, I feel bad asking for money, you really have to believe that you are providing others with an opportunity to invest. If you don't see that or believe that, you are not going to have success raising capital. So it starts with building your foundation. So why are you doing this? Who are you? What's your target market? Do you know how to analyze deals? What does your team of experts look like? What's in it for you? Why are you raising capital? What's in it for your private money lender? What's in it for them, right? Why, why should they take you up on this amazing opportunity aside from the returns you're going to offer them, right? So that's all a part of building your foundation. So once you have the right mindset, then all you want to do is continue to shift that mindset so that every time you leave your house, Anyone you encounter is a prospective private money lender. So one of the most basic things that you guys can all do, step one, moving forward from here on out, is what I refer to as a four-second power pitch. I was just posting about this on Instagram today. I'll give you a script for that if you would like. Um, here's what I did. Okay, you guys do what makes sense for you. As I mentioned earlier, I used to have a full-time J-O-B. I worked for Dell Computers for 14 years. They were very good to me. And however, I was very committed to real estate. And when I would go out and I would meet new people, and they would say, hey, it's so nice to meet you. What do you do for a living? So I did not say, oh, I work for Dell, but I'm trying to figure out my passion. And I've got this side, you know, this side hustle. I was just very confident, never talked about Dell again, even if that risked me getting fired, which it didn't. And I would just say with confidence, I show people how to earn double digit returns back by real estate. What do you do? It's so nice to meet you. That's that. it. Right. So it's 13 words. I'm not asking for anything. I'm just raising awareness and planting seeds. And that's literally what I did 24 seven. Anytime I left my house. Awesome. No, that's, it's so simple. Um, and I think, you know, for, for a lot of people, they're, they're trained to expect whatever 8% in the stock market. I don't even know what it is, but it's or 8% annually in the stock market. And, you know, you do that for 50 years and you're in good shape and you can retire. But if you can help somebody get double digit returns, they can maybe retire early or, or have some totally. sort of passive income and control over what's going on in their life. And it might seem unbelievable that you can do that. But I think, you know, can you give some examples of some some deals you've raised private money for? So let's say like a flip or syndication, sure. things like that, where you you do get people double digit returns just so people can understand yeah. this. So, and I can take that in a lot of great different directions for, you know, those of you who are listening, my very first deal that I did in downtown Chicago 10 years ago, I did not leverage other people's money. I was so busy, you know, with my job, building my team, understanding my market. So on this specific property, all I needed was, it was around 40 to 50,000. I don't remember the exact number. I had oh. that in the bank. So as far as the gap funding was concerned, right? I put a hard money lender in first thing position. And um, we can talk about the difference later if you would like. So I just put my own you know, money into the deal. Well, on this condo flip, sure, I made, I don't remember, 20,000 or so in, in four months. It was on and off the books. But I still refer to it as a mistake, as a lesson learned, because two weeks into the renovation, my acquisitions manager, which those of you listening, it was just a fancy word of 
another way of saying realtor. So my realtor acquisitions manager brought me two passive income properties that I wasn't able to buy because I put my own money into my fix and flip. And now I couldn't pull the trigger on these two rental properties. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, why don't you just raise capital? You're so good at raising capital. Well, I hadn't prioritized the capital raising piece of my business at the time. So these two deals that I passed up on, the missed opportunity, was going to clear net around $600 a month. Now, is that going to allow us to retire? No. But that's one example of one missed opportunity, right? Mm. So that really, for me, was a huge uh, lesson learned. And from that moment on, I reshifted my priorities to raising capital. And on the very next deal and on every deal since then, I've used private money. So to give you an example of numbers, on that second deal, I raised $390,000 in 21 days. I'd never done it before. It started with the four-second power pitch, you guys, so take it, use it. And I put it into a single-family home in Chicago, and I ended up netting just over $62,000. So instead of putting it into my next flip, I diversified. I took a piece of that. I used it as a down payment on a rental property. And then I also took a piece of it and I started to lend to other investors, mm-hmm. right? So I'm a firm believer in diversification, but not in the stock market, definitely not in the bank. I'm going to diversify in real estate investing, lending, rental property syndication and things like that. But it, it, I still implement that strategy today. Love that. Yeah, I have a similar strategy where, you know, like we talked about before we got on the podcast here, we do a lot of single family bursts. Uh, in San Antonio and Louisville, Kentucky, and we borrow all the money for that stuff. So we put very little money into that, very little of our own money ever into that. But that doesn't mean I'm not buying short-term rental properties in the Austin area or or duplexes in the Austin area because that's my passive income. Right. Also making other income in other areas, borrowing private money and giving people great returns. So. Yeah, and if you're wondering, I mean, over the last 10 years, and I'm never going to deviate from my standard process, the double digit returns I, I continue to offer, it's 12%, right? So can I go out there and beat someone up and get beat someone up and get like eight to 10% annualized? Sure. But why? Two to 4% is not worth it, right? So, but in your case, Jordan, like you're doing, you know, the Burr strategy, which I love, what I have found is a 12% return on a Burr property is not going to work, mm-hmm. right? So on um, something like that, I will offer, you know, six to 8%. Um, and then I'll do like a cash out refi or if they want to stay in it for the long haul, you know, I'll do monthly interest only payments. So there are a thousand ways you can structure these deals. Yeah. But there are a lot of people who are like, I don't want to flip. I don't want to wholesale. Okay, go buy rental properties tomorrow with other people's money, right? Or go start a fund or go park money into a multifamily building or a commercial syndication. Or I have a lot of realtors or mortgage brokers or contractors who want to learn how to raise capital just to generate referral fees. So there's so much you can do with it. You can be someone's capital partner, take a percentage of their equity if you know how to you know, raise money. So it's a pretty cool skill set to have. Yeah, it's never a bad thing. So you talked about lean position and I think it's important to let people know what that is. And this is part of the way we explain to our private private lenders that they're going to be safe. But can you go over lean position real quick and first and second liens and what those mean? 
Have you wanted to be part of GoBundance, the tribe of millionaires, but just haven't hit that millionaire status yet? Well, now you can, not even being a millionaire, by joining our new program, GoBundance Emerge. My name's Jamie Gruber, creator of GoBundance Emerge and member of the GoBundance community, and now you can join. GoBundance.com slash emerge. GoBundance.com slash emerge. Use code Jordan for $100 off this 12-week goal-setting program and mastermind that'll propel you to being a whole-life millionaire. Sure. So when you're in your first lien position, um, that means that in the rare occasion, should foreclosure happen, that first lien position holder, that lender, whether it's hard money, private money, or a bank, they're going to get their money first. And if there's any money left in the deal, it'll trickle down to the second lien position holder, if you have a third lien position holder, so on and so forth. Now, when I first got started 10 years ago, I would have three, four, five private money lenders on a deal in third, fourth, and fifth lane position. And a lot of the times um, people would think, oh, well, isn't the person in fifth lane in a riskier position than the person in second lane? It can, you can argue it both ways. But because of the types of deals I was doing, because of the equity I was, or the appreciation I was forcing through the renovation, I'm very transparent. I would show, you know, my private money lender, look at this deal analyzer, look at every single cost variable I've taken into account, including my projected profit. Worst case scenario, I'm going to make less money. Um, a lot of the times I would sign personal guarantees um, because I did believe in paying people back out of pocket. I told you earlier, um, you're going to make money, you're going to lose money. I lost a lot of money. 2017 was the worst year of my life. I had to liquidate my assets. I had to drain my retirement account. I had to put people on payment plans. Uh, in order to figure it out. And some people never got their interest. Very few didn't get 100% of their principal back because I literally had nothing more to give. Um, this is why you want to make sure when you start raising capital, you know how to legally structure it, you understand the lien positions, and you're also proactively explaining this to your private money lenders because they could say, hey, I'm in second lien, it's riskier, and you just want to be able to know how to respond to something like that. Okay. I guess a follow-up question, if somebody says, Hey, isn't second lien riskier? What are you saying to them? Just you're explaining the deal and showing them why there's there's a spread there. That's what I do. I'll show them the deal, and I'll be like, I understand why you're saying that, but because of all the controls I put into place and all those controls, I have taken the time to educate my private money lender on through multiple coffee talks. This is why you want to practically raise capital, you guys, right? So they understand my team of experts. They understand my target market. They understand my buying criteria. They understand my conservative analysis. They understand our wholesale pricing on materials. So I say, hey, I understand why you think that, but because of all the controls we put into place, and I'm showing you the projected you know, profit, the likeliness of that happening is it's not probable. It's not likely that's going to happen. I also say though, I can't guarantee anything. Worst case scenario, you have to be okay never seeing your hundred thousand dollars again, right? But it's not likely for these reasons. So yeah, I just explained that to them, and very very seldom will they say I don't know. Um, so then I'll be like, okay, I'll give you a point up front, or let's make your twelve percent, you know, thirteen percent. It's not a big deal because that's not going to make or break your deal. And if it does, you shouldn't be doing it. Sure. Awesome. Yeah. No, I think that's great. You know, everybody gets caught up with financing costs. And like you said, if, if a little, a little change breaks your deal, it wasn't a deal in the first place. Um, so, you know, we like to talk about, you know, how to avoid bad deals on this podcast. And you just mentioned something with 2017, what happened in 2017? And is there anything you could do to maybe avoid that happening again, or that you would? Yeah, a hundred percent. So it was a combination of me 
um, making some risky decisions, knowing that going into it, combined with like the perfect storm. So three things really made this happen. Number one is I was in the luxury high-end um, market because no other investor was because they didn't know how to raise capital. So there was so much opportunity that I was able to capitalize on. And so what happened was I started buying in this one pocket and then all the other investors started to follow. And so first, all of my properties hit the market at the same time. So I had 10, you know, 1.2 to $1.4 million properties that like literally hit the market within 30 days of one another. That wasn't supposed to happen. So now I was generating my own competition. This is not common. Number two, because I grew so quickly, I hired a second general contractor without doing my due diligence. Unfortunately, this guy got $400,000 out of me Um, because I'm stubborn. I spent 35 grand, took him to court, got a judgment, which I still have to this day. But of course, I'm not able to collect because he just dissolved the LLC, right? I'm not going to put more money into it to go after him personally. So that was number two. I didn't follow my standard process in hiring a general contractor. Um, And then number three, and I think a part of it, it wasn't really me making a risky decision. I think it was more of me being so still relatively new and naive in the industry. So I'm looking at these 1.2 to $1.4 million listings. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to make like 120, 140,000 in less than a year on just one project. But that 120,000 was only like a six or 7% ROI. So I always tell my students, never look at the dollar amount. Always look at your ROI as a percentage if it's not 10 to 15% net, then don't do the deal. Now, back then, I was like, do I do it? Don't it? The dollar amount is so enticing. I've got 10 of them going on. I had some assets. I just never thought that I was going to lose on every single one and not have enough assets to cover it. So those three things uh, was what resulted in. And I'm very transparent. A $1.4 million loss. It sucked. I cried every other day. I was at the doctor's office every month. I considered filing for bankruptcy multiple times. I never considered exiting the game. I just shifted my strategy. So I went into low, lower income price points, still continued taking losses. You know, but it's like you figure it out. You, you know, I was trying to hustle and generate referral fees on the side. Um, so yeah, it sucked, but I definitely learned my lesson. I'm much, which is why I'm so conservative now and the types of deals I take on and my analysis. Wow, that's a, an amazing story and some great lessons there. I'm glad yeah. that you're, you're doing well now. So <clears throat> you mentioned that you, you got a lot more conservative and you moved to lower dollar properties. What types of properties are you targeting here right now? Are you back to the middle market condos? So I'm, I'm back to the high end properties. Okay. So finally, right? So. I really, really preach and believe in building your power team. So it was just this year that I was like, you know what? I'm going to go back into the high-end new build because of the amazing team that I am a part of. And, um, you know, do your due diligence. You know, I didn't deviate from understanding their backgrounds, their portfolios. So I'm very comfortable and confident now. Um, you know, we've invested our own money in one of the properties. It's so yeah, I'm back in the high-end luxury game, but again, on a very small scale. I've just got three projects going on right now. Um, and that's it. I really want to focus my time on growing this community uh, and the private money space and just 
really helping others. And, you know, and by doing that, that leads to other joint venture opportunities or mm-hmm. other ways for us to collaborate all over the country, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And, and you get raising money. It sounds like raising money is kind of your thing. So, you know, I think raising money ties into my next question a lot. So scaling, everybody wants to know, how do you scale? Sounds like you had a lot of projects going on at once and you got up to the point there where you were able to do that. So how did you get from doing, you know, these, these middle market condos to doing, what was it? 10 high-end properties at once? Yeah. Yeah. You know, when I talk about raising capital and I follow the same systems as well, still to this day, Mm -hmm. I always say, we're proactively building relationships with anyone and everyone. So as you guys are doing that consistently, which for me, I'm not consistent with a lot of things in life, but when it comes to my real estate business and raising capital, like I am, um, eventually you guys, regardless of what your goals are, as you're consistently being mindful of what it looks like to raise capital, you're all going to have more money coming in than you need. So I, you know, earlier I said, my goal is just to do two or three flips, but because I was so consistent at building rapport with people, Eventually, and it was at about the six month six month mark. I just had more money coming in than I needed. My deal flow was higher than what I wanted, and my contractor was able to handle the volume. So that's why I always say, like on accident, I was able to grow and scale my business. There are some people who don't want to do that. They're like, I want to keep this as my side hustle. I want to use my own money. There's nothing wrong with that. There's no right or wrong way. You guys got to do what makes sense for you, right? Um, but I really, it's not even what I believe in. It's a fact. In order to grow and scale, we want to leverage off of other people's money. And why not leverage off of other people's money when we understand what we're doing? We really are helping them because of the returns we're giving them, the security we're giving them. And we're able to take on more than one project at a time or go buy 10 rental properties tomorrow and retire in two years instead of 10 years. You know, it's, it's whatever makes sense for you. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think I liked, you know, you talked about really, if you don't want to scale, that's fine. If you just want to do, yeah. let's say one a year, but I've heard people talk about, I want to buy one rental property a year for 10 years and then I'm going to be done. I'm going to pay all those off. That's just not exciting to me. I'm not really right. interested in doing that. And I think you just have to find what's right for you. You know, I want to scale and that's involved raising private capital for people. And I, obviously you're doing the same thing there. Um, but now that you've gotten to where you are, so you're building some new builds here in East Austin, you've got your coaching, you're raising private capital for all sorts of deals. Uh, what's next for you? What, what are your long-term goals? Jordan Moorhead here. Really quick, he wanted to tell you a couple other ways you can keep track of us. If you want to listen to all these podcasts and ask questions, the Moorhead team on YouTube is the best place to be. And then Austin Real Estate Investors on Meetup is a great place to keep track of all of our meetups we have going on. Yeah, you know, it's funny because people will hear me speak or they'll see something on social media and they're like, oh my God, you're living the dream. And I am. I love my life. I love the opportunity. I love the lifestyle. There's still so much I want to do to meet like my financial goals. You know, I'm still rebuilding. There are still things um, that I want to do. My husband is also a real estate investor. We met at a real estate conference. And so, yeah. And so, um, it's pretty cool, you know, because, you know, my community, my students have inspired me. I I'm still a student. Like I said earlier, I go to events, I go to conferences. I have coaches and mentors and personally and professionally, 
Um, but because of the inspiration from my students, I decided, okay, this year in October, I'm going to host my very first two-day real estate conference. And, you know, we all have fear. I'm very open about it. I don't really care. I'll give you the good, the bad, the in between. But I'm like, oh my God, like I'm not a big name. How am I going to fill a room with 200 people? Like, this is a big investment. I'm going to put on a credit card, but we're doing it and it's cool and it's exciting. So my goal is to kick off my very first two-day event, uh, which we're doing in October in Long Beach, California. It's going to be all about real estate and money. And then I want to basically do that four times a year. And it's cool because it differs from other events because it's going to be like an implementation conference where you're not going to come to this event and take a bunch of notes that you're never going to read again. You're going to come, you're going to take action like together with all of us in the room and like start raising capital. We're going to deploy into various deals. So aside from um, launching my own conference, I told you I, I'm working with a securities attorney right now on syndicating my very first multifamily deal. And then, of course, I want to grow my coaching um, platform. But those are my three um, items over the next, the rest of this year and into 2023. Awesome. And for people that are interested in coming to your, your event there in Long Beach, how do they find out more information about that? And of course, we'll put all this in the show notes too for everybody. Sure. Thank you. You know, I don't have a team of 100 people <laughs> that works for me. I, I don't have an assistant or a social media manager. So if you guys want to get a hold of me, the best way is, unfortunately, I'm on Instagram 24-7. So connect with me on Instagram. <laughs> um, it's just Amy Majuri. Um, and I've got the link to the to the October event in there. It's just raisingpm.com forward slash live event. You can grab a ticket. You can join this. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, and I'd love to connect with you guys and help you however I can. Awesome. No, I'm I'm sure a lot of our listeners will hear about it, but you don't you don't hear about a lot of conferences that are real specific about that sort of thing. Um, and just out of curiosity, what conference was it that you and your husband met at? It was I guess I'll put it out there because they're friends of ours. It was a Fortune Builders conference. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, so yeah, raisingpm.com slash live event, correct? Yeah. Yes. Or you can just connect it's it's um it's I've got it on Instagram. You can connect with me there. Send me questions, you guys. I always respond to my DMs. I don't ever, unfortunately, I don't blow off anyone. So within you know one to two days, I will get back to you if you have any questions. Awesome. Oh, that's so cool. Cool. Um, Amy, do you have a favorite business or mindset book you like to recommend to people? Oh my God, this came up during the Bigger Pockets interview. It took me a lot of years of therapy to admit in public, like I don't like to read. So okay. do not, do not, and I'm very confident saying it. Um, there's a lot that I, I mean, from good to great by Jim Collins. That's what inspired me to really focus on. Yeah. Focus on building my power team. Right. Um, I listen to a lot of podcasts, of course, Tony Robbins and other people that inspire me, but I'm not the type of person at all. Who's going to sit here and read like a book a week. I don't read, I don't even read five books a year. So judge me or not. The best way that I learn what resonates with me is by going to events, going to workshops, having my own coaches. That's how I learn. And that's what motivates me. Awesome. Yeah, I love that. I really recommend anybody that, that hasn't you know, go to Amy's event, go to live events, meet people out in public. You can only learn so much on books and podcasts. But I also love going to conferences and events. And COVID was not a fun time for me because I, I couldn't do all that stuff. It's just, it's fun, right? You get to collaborate with most of the time and you might get a bad seat, right? Every now and then, but it's like, you're collaborating with 200 other like-minded people who like are all excited and who get it. We speak the same language. And every time I go to an event as a student, I'm always like, 
figuring out the next way to collaborate with some attendee there. So it's, it's a lot of fun too. Absolutely. Yeah. It's always worth it. I've never been to a conference where I haven't felt like I've gotten the value out of the ticket, you know, and probably right. a lot more. Most of the conferences, if one of the first ones I went to, I, I got a referral off of it and that's paid for all the other conferences since. So just that oh, one, funny. it's great. Yeah. So Amy, other than Instagram, is there another great way for people to get a hold of you, like an email address or something? No, Instagram should be the best way. And again, I do respond. Um, I am active on LinkedIn. I just don't provide as timely of a response on LinkedIn. But those are the two main social media platforms that I'm on. Cool. Yeah. On LinkedIn, it's not so easy to respond to all the time. Um, All right, Amy. Again, thank you so much for coming on here. Most important question we have for everyone, though, is what is your favorite restaurant here in Austin? My favorite restaurant here in Austin. I mean, does Home Slice count as a restaurant? I'm obsessed with pizza. I mean, I know it's like a $4 slice of pizza. Um, Yeah, let's go with Home Slice. Yeah. I'm a basic girl, you guys. Give me pizza and ice cream and I'm happy. Perfect. There's ice cream close by too, so that's a good spot. Right. Awesome. Amy, thank you so much. And again, anybody that wants to go to Amy's live event or learn more about her, reach out to her on Instagram or go to raisingpm.com slash live event. And again, we'll have all that in the show notes for everybody too. So check out Amy's live event, reach out to her on Instagram. She'll respond to you and answer any questions you've got. Thank 